You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Today, we're going back north, north of the 49th parallel, back into Canada, reconnecting with one of our favorite guests. I can't say he's our favorite guest because, you know, we have to be, we have to be diplomatic about this, right? So, we, but, uh, but I am happy to, to welcome back in Dr. Scott Stevens with Ducks Unlimited Canada's Director of Regional Operations for the Prairie and Boreal. Scott, does it, does it offend you that I don't yet uh, call you our favorite guest or are you okay with a diplomatic approach to this? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I think it's like having a favorite child, Mike. You're, you're not supposed to say so in front of, you know, the rest of them, but, you know, the one that's the favorite knows. <laughs> um. Yeah, we'll leave that for some some uh, offline conversation to really sort through that. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, we we wanted to reconnect with Scott here. As as listeners of the podcast will know, Scott has been gracious with his time joining us to share updates on habitat conditions. Uh, he's also shared some insight with us on some actual conservation program work that that goes on up up in Canada. But Scott and I are also good friends. We go back a, a long way, and so we wanted to just use this opportunity to to reconnect and see what he's been up to. Uh, I, I follow Scott on social media. And so I know he has been, uh, he's been out in the field again. We had him on last month at where he shared with us some, some of his experiences and observations on blue wing teal. Uh, but he's, he's been out again. And so we wanted to talk with him about that. And you know, Scott, this is also one of those things where we could, we could draw an analogy to kind of what happens with football. People may be asking themselves, why, why are they going to be talking to Scott Stevens again? And a lot of times if you're watching a football game, you'll see one team run the tailback up, you know, right up the middle for eight yards. Then the next play, they'll run the tailback right up the middle for nine yards and they'll turn around, they'll run it for 15 yards. And you kind of ask yourself sitting across, uh, ask your buddy, how long are they, how many times are they going to continue to run that play? And the answer is, well, we're going to run it till they stop it, right? <laughs> exactly. So, so, so that's kind of what we have here. You're a good guest. You provide good information and we're going to keep going back to the well. So thanks for joining us again, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that signals that if people are tired of hearing from me, they just need to, you know, message the podcast or comment and say, man, I am sick of hearing that guy. Like, when are we done with him? That, that, yeah, that's right. And and hey, that that's a good reminder for me at this time to to thank the listeners of the podcast. We do get some feedback from people along the way, and we appreciate that. We're actually kind of adjusting some of our schedule of of our content. Uh, based on some of the on the feedback we're receiving, and so just a, a shout out and thank you to all the listeners that are tuning into the podcast. Uh, I'll take this time also to encourage you to share the podcast with your with your friends, with your fellow hunters, with your fellow workers, anyone that you think may be interested in wetland and waterfowl conservation. That's actually, if I'm being honest, that's a really easy way that you can help Ducks Unlimited promote our mission is by sharing this podcast and helping us get this 
uh, get this message out uh, and provide some feedback. One of the other things that you can do is is go to the wherever you get your podcast and, and rate this podcast. Uh, hopefully, you're going to think it's a four or five star podcast, but you know we'll leave that up to you. Uh, but yeah, just. All, all support for this podcast is appreciated. And uh, so with that, Scott, let's talk a bit about what you what you did here over the past couple of weeks. I think you ventured west into the land of the living skies in Saskatchewan. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. So I think last time we talked, I had, you know, I had taken the first week of September off and I had hunted blue wing teal and that was quite successful. There were lots of blue wings around. I had, I had got out a few more times and chased blue wings and I'll admit they, they seem to be kind of waning a bit. Um, and then I prepared for a trip. I think I left on the 19th of September to head to Saskatchewan. And, uh, you know, as you highlighted, Mike, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a different year for me too, because, you know, this is the time that we typically have guests and supporters from all across the continent who are coming up here and, you know, we spend some time with them in the fall and, you know, tour some habitat and do a little hunting. And, uh, you know, that's a time that I look forward to, but with the current situation, there's, there's no guests from the U S coming. We've had a limited number of our Canadian guests that we've tried to get out and do some of that with, but, but it's a very different year. So, so yeah, I scheduled another week's worth of vacation time and, uh, connected with, a a friend of mine who lives outside of Saskatoon. And uh, our plan was we were going to be east of Saskatoon for a few days chasing cranes, sandhill cranes. And then uh, and then once we had completed that portion of the trip, we were going to go west of Saskatoon and focus on uh, white fronts and, and ducks. So that's kind of what we headed out and did. So on the cranes, I think I saw some of those pictures. Man, I tell you what, I have been fortunate enough to travel to, to Saskatchewan. Um, I'm not sure if it's been quite a half a dozen times, but it's close to that. And we always try to time it such that we can get there before the cranes um, hightail it out of there because uh, cranes will roost in some of the shallower wetlands there. So as soon as it gets cold in those shallower wetlands, um, big, large, large shallow wetlands, as, as soon as they start to freeze up, those cranes are out of there. And so uh, it's always really tricky to do that. There's this window of time where you want to be there for the cranes before they leave, but then you, ought to, you also don't want to be too early because then you're going to miss out on some of the other other ducks that are, that are going to be moving into that area. But um, uh, we, t- Scott, typically whenever we are, are going after cranes, we don't, we don't haul up decoys or anything of that nature. We try to just pass shoot them, which takes a bit of scouting and, and also just kind of being in the right place at the right time. And, but I noticed from some of your posts that you, you were actually using some, some silhouettes, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, is this the first time that you've used the silhouettes or is that typically the way you, um, you try to hunt cranes? Yeah, well, cranes for us has been a bit of an evolution too. Like like you, Mike, at first when we had guests up, I mean, cranes are something that are unique and and I'll admit Saskatchewan is probably one of the best places to chase after cranes just because of the sheer numbers. I mean, you know, the area we were in, there are tens of thousands of cranes using that area. So, you know, there's lots of opportunity. So initially when we chased them, we did just like you described, you get between a roost in fields and they, you know, under the right conditions, they don't fly too high and you kind of pass shoot them. Um, 
And then I guess during the process of that, I kind of, you know, looking at piles of cranes out in the field, you know, it struck me, it's like, I'll bet we could decoy those things if, you know, if we did a little thinking and scheming on that front. So we had, we had got some decoys. At first, I got six full body crane decoys. And then prior to last year, I got six dozen silhouettes. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a pretty good crane spread. Um, you know, when you put out a few full bodies and the silhouettes and I would say that, you know, the results of trying to decoy them have been pretty spectacular. You know, when you get a group of 30 cranes sort of belly up and feet and legs down trying to land in your decoys, that's that's quite the spectacle. So um, the decoys are pretty effective, I can tell you. And and this year, you know, we got in we got in fields that cranes were using and uh, put out the decoys. And most of most days, I think we were you know, there were just two of us. So, you know, we the limit is five on cranes. We only needed 10 cranes. But, you know, there was there was only one day that that we weren't done shooting cranes by the time the sun came up. Wow, that's pretty incredible, Scott. It was actually kind of kind of as you were describing this, I was wondering how how you I was wondering how much scouting you did. I, I'm guessing this is going to be like field hunting for mallards where you scout the previous afternoon, find where the cranes are, and then go back in and to that field. Uh, and then then the other question is, do you use a crane call? I mean, let me just ask you those two questions. Yeah. So scouting is definitely important. Um, I'll admit once again, this year is a little bit different in that, you know, my experience in both of the areas that we hunted was there was nobody else around. Now, usually those areas, you know, don't have a ton of hunting pressure, but you see a few people kicking around and there was like nobody out there on the landscape. Um, so, you know, that was interesting. And I suspect that's at least, you know, partially related to the fact that the border was closed. Um, so yes, we, we did some scouting. Um, you know, the first day that we hunted for cranes, my, my friend that I was hunting with, he actually, as I was traveling over, he said, Hey, good news. Um, he lives out in, in a rural part of Saskatchewan. And he said, I've got 400 cranes, like in my backyard, literally in a field. So um, the first day we hunted in his backyard, we had actually taken the decoys out there the night before and, you know, set them up, set, set the blind up. Um, in that case, we used uh, a uh, avian X A-frame blind that's all grassed up with, you know, just cut green grass. Um, but but I've found those to be super successful. Um, you know, you're just totally hidden because looks like a clump of grass out there. Um, so, yeah. You know, I had done some scouting for the other two spots we hunted. Um, it's a traditional area near a big roost. So, you know, it's an area that I know holds lots of cranes. And in, in that case, for those two days, we just, uh, there was actually a, a small dry wetland that we just sort of knelt down in the vegetation in the dry wetland and put the, put the decoys sort of around the edge of the wetland and that worked spectacularly too. So, but yeah, I mean, success for cranes, finding the spot that they're using the area, like, like almost everything else, if they want to be there, that's a good spot to be. And then you ask a question about calls and, um, yeah, so they do have crane calls. 
I would love to get a crane call. My sort of current limitation is I'm not smart enough to figure out how to trill my tongue or, you know, sort of roll my R's, which you need to be able to do into the call. So my friend actually is able to do that. He was sort of trilling into a short read goose call and it sounded pretty good. Now I'll kind of, uh, vibrate my lips and try <laughs> and try and make a crane call. It's not as good as the people who control their tongue and do it through a call. Yep. But uh, yeah, so so I guess, you know, I, I'm handicapped in that I haven't figured out how to do that yet. But I know, you know, I've, I've listened to YouTube videos and there are guys who are super successful at at doing that and, and they sell commercial crane calls. So those would definitely be an advantage that I did not have. There's a lot I could say here. Let me think where I want to start. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think I think you were part of that conversation, right? Where I was describing my oh my feeble attempt to learn some introductory Spanish. Were you part of that conversation? And I was trying to coach you and others on how to learn how to roll your R's. Do you remember that? Yeah, something about butter, butter, butter. <laughs> something about butter, butter. Yeah, something of that nature, right? Exactly. I've still I've still got work to do. Is the is the take home <laughs> point from that. <laughs> right. And I think I do as well. So, um, well, and I did not know if you were going to be able to kind of re reproduce that call for us or not. It sounds like, it sounds like not. Uh, I actually had Dr. John Brunges on an episode, I think that's going to follow this one sometime where we were talking about Sandhill Cranes in the Eastern U.S. And I tried to coax him into a a, a, a crane call as well, but not, but he wasn't going for it either. You know, we may have to dub that in because it, it really is a, an incredible sound. If people haven't heard it, uh, I think they would enjoy it. And certainly if you have heard it, you hear it once and you will never, uh, never, ever forget it. So it's, it's pretty cool in that regard. It, it is. Yeah. I, I have to admit, it is probably my favorite bird vocalization and it carries so far you know, like like when cranes are migrating, you know, they'll be like a mile up there in the sky. And if I'm sitting outside on a, you know, mid-September day, you can hear that trill. And, uh, and then, you know, if you have binoculars, you can look and look or even with your naked eye. And then you'll be like, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of specks way up there that are cranes, you know, sort of migrating in their in their circular pattern, kind of riding thermals. Um, but it is an absolute awesome call that is so distinctive and and yeah so if people haven't heard that they need to they need to google that or maybe you can dub it in and uh yeah it's it's a really cool call here's a crane call for you <laughs> that was actually Scott yeah. doing that. We're about to go yeah. off in the ditch here, so let's kind of pull us pull us back. <laughs> I tried. I've embarrassed myself with my my feeble Spanish. Now Scott has done so with his attempt to uh, imitate a crane, but it's all good. <laughs> all right, Scott. Let's let's move on here. Yeah, and, and and how about before we move on? I I guess I would say that um, that area I was in east of Saskatoon chasing cranes in it was super dry. Um, like finding a duck hunt in that area would have been really, really tough. Um, you know, there were all kinds of fields around harvested pea fields, which are very attractive to ducks and geese alike. 
And there were just not many ducks in that country because it was it was pretty darn dry, like with semi-permanent wetlands being way drawn down and some of them dry. So so it was dry conditions, which, you know, ties back to some of the conversations that we had had. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Earlier in the summer. So back to the cranes real quickly. For those people that may not may not know, some people may be wondering, wait, why are you hunting cranes? Well, Cranes are incredibly good table fare. John, Dr. John Brunges and I talk about this as well, but but Scott, I know you will echo this loudly that I mean, I'd probably rather have crane than pretty much any other, uh, than any species of waterfowl, save maybe one or two. They are just outstanding table fare. And I know you share that, right, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it probably is not a coincidence that, you know, target species for this trip were cranes and white fronts. And those are the two species that I would put at the top of my list for the best eating waterfowl. Um, I know several times I've taken crane to, you know, sort of social events with, with people that are not waterfowl people. And I don't tell them what it is. And they're like, man, that's really good. You know, is that beef or what is that? And then I tell them, no, it's crane. And they're like, crane, what, what's that? You know, it's sandhill crane. And they're like, oh, those things that look like storks. It's like, yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And well, I, I was I, I thought you were going to say they they probably had in mind a great blue heron or great egret or something. We we went to great lengths on the episode with with uh, John Brunges to differentiate cranes from the herons and egrets. You know, we're not talking about those. These are cranes, entirely right. different family. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, they they are awesome on on the plate. Um, yeah. So so you know, not only is it a great bird to hunt, but it's it's some of the best table fare that you can find for sure. You mentioned that that white fronts were also a target species, so let's kind of shift over to that. Were you able to locate some of those birds, and were you successful um, in your in chasing them? I was, yeah. I, I and uh, I would say I'm going to be a little vague here. I was west of Saskatoon. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now, in in an area that that I have traditionally gone to, um, and you know, for whatever reason you know, white fronts are kind of a Western, a Western distributed bird, you know, east of Saskatoon, when we were crane hunting, I shot one white front, there was a flock of white fronts that were flying around. And as soon as I identified what they were, and they were within range, it's like, yep, I'm going to take one of those. So, um, but that's unusual, you know, typically, you're in Western Saskatchewan or in Alberta to shoot white fronted geese. Um, so I was west of Saskatoon, sort of a traditional area that I've gone to. Um, and despite the fact that it, it's the area, sort of the northwest part of the province, um, in, in Saskatchewan had gotten decent rain and had decent runoff this year. I was actually expecting wetland conditions to be better than they were. They were, things were a little dry there too, but there was, there was more water than there was east of Saskatoon. So so yeah, I was out in that country. There were there were definitely geese out there, um, staged up white fronts, um, kind of like cranes. They tend to be an early migrant where 
you know, the timing that we had is pretty good for white fronts and for cranes. I would say as you get into October, their numbers start to wane. You know, they're they're starting to show up in places like coastal Louisiana or the Mississippi Alluvial Valley. You know, guys will be starting to hear white fronts come in to those areas. So, yeah, the timing was good. There were good numbers of birds out there. And once again, there was nobody out on the landscape, save for, you know, farmers who were still working on harvest, but uh, lots of harvested pea fields. Um, that's what we were in on the first morning. Um, you know, there are some bigger lakes up in that country. And so we were watching birds come off one of those bigger lakes where they had roosted and flying out to some pea fields. And we tracked down the landowner and got permission. And uh, the the main challenge that I have is um, probably many of the listeners are not familiar with what a what a pea field looks like when it's harvested. The, probably the best descriptor that more folks will relate to is it looks a lot like a soybean field when it's harvested. So hiding while you're hunting is really the challenge there. And, and I've been through a number of iterations of trying to figure this out. I've done layout lines and stuff, piece double in them. That's not been stellar. Um, you know, I've, I've tried to figure out everything. So my, my new attempt this year was I made what I called, um, gilly blankets. So I just took a hunk of burlap that was camo burlap and I tied on, uh, chunks of raffia grass that, that were sort of, you know, commercially available in browns and tans. And so I tied that on and, and, you know, coming in, I thought that looks pretty good, you know, in a pea field that'll blend in and we'll just lay down and cover up with those, you know, just laying on the ground. I thought we'll be low profile, lower profile than, than layout lines. And we were there and in the field the first morning covered up with these gilly blankets that I had made and white fronts are coming and they're flaring off at like 150 mm. yards. And it's like, yeah. oh crap. So about three flocks did that. And I said, okay, that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> went and, went and grabbed the truck, brought out the uh, the A-frame blind covered in green grass, and set that in the middle of a pea field. And then they proceeded to decoy in and act like nothing right? was there. Yeah, it's it's sort of mind-boggling, but yep, that worked. So you just need to wait until you get a good rain and go out in one of those pea fields and just roll around in the mud, and it will it will stick to you. You'll have at least two inches of that stuff on you, right? And then you'll just blend right in. Yeah, but I don't, I don't even <laughs> Trouble think, shouldering your gun, though. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> even think that would work. I mean, with the ghillie blankets, it's like, you know, if, if I stood back and looked at it, it's like, man, that blends in and it's low profile. So, so I don't even know if you rolled in the stubble and laid there, if it would make a difference. But the A-frame covered in green grass in the middle of a wide open uh, pea field worked just fine. So, you know. Sometimes adapt, improvise, overcome. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what my social media post said at the time. Now, now I did have one of our colleagues that said, that's not adapt, improvise and overcome. Like <laughs> Canadians have been using willow blinds for ages that, you know, are big and bulky and stick out, but you know, you're hidden in them and they're effective. And, and that's true. I gave him, I gave him credit on that. Um, you know, willow blinds are something that have been around forever and, and A-frames are kind of a new version of that. So I think that's true. Scott, you brought up your social media posts, so I kind of have to go there. Um, I, I think I commented, one of our one of our 
colleagues refused to like one of your posts because he said that he, he felt you were doing this just to kind of rub it in, knowing that all of us Americans cannot get up there because the border is still closed, uh, at least not without some extraordinary lengths, you know, quarantining and all that kind of stuff. And no one's really going to have, not many people have the ability to do that um, for that length of time. So he was, I think he was a bit chapped that you were sharing all these images and videos of your great success. And, and I made the comment that what makes it what makes it even more insulting that I can just imagine you as you're sitting there with your phone in hand, typing this out, putting the pictures on there and the videos, and then as you're hitting post, you're just grinning from ear to ear. Did I did I nail that? Or, or? yeah, well, it, it is interesting. Like like I am sensitive to that. It's like, well, I I do feel for all of you guys. You know, there there are a lot of people who their waterfowl season is focused around making a trip to Canada. And, you know, this, all, all that we're dealing with, you know, with, with COVID and that being messed up, there are a lot of people who are like, man, are we ever bummed? Like that is what we look forward to all year. So, so I can appreciate that now. Yeah. So I, I wasn't trying to rub it in, but I thought, <laughs> you know, okay, you can't come. But you didn't stop whenever you found out that it was. <laughs> Kind of, we were bristling at having seeing all this, right? Yeah. Well, well, my logic was, <laughs> I'm trying to let you live vicariously through me, you know, in a year when you can't come. But, but yeah, I, I would admit I'm sensitive to that, and I appreciate the fact that there are lots of people who that's a long-standing tradition for and a really important thing for them, and so I definitely do feel for them too. Yeah. No, but in all seriousness, we're. Um, we're happy that you're able to take advantage of the resource up there. And if, if this year we have to live vicariously through you and the others that have that opportunity, then, well, that's what we'll do. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here so we could share some of these stories. Uh, Scott, it sounds like we're going to need to start wrapping this up. It sounds like you did not target ducks. It sounds like you were not really in landscapes that would have been holding a lot of ducks this time of year anyway. Um, are you planning to get back out to Saskatchewan or maybe even Alberta to chase ducks here in the next, uh, next few weeks? I don't have plans to get back out. And, and, the you know, the second half of the trip where we were west of Saskatoon, we did have a couple duck hunts. Um, one that was sort of what I would call a, a sipping pond or a day roost pond that birds were coming into after they had been in the field that, uh, that turned out to be spectacular. We hunted it in, in the evening and some birds had been in the field and then they were coming back there to drink before they went to sort of their night roost pond. And, uh, it turned out we had shot 16 mallards and there was about 20 minutes left in, in legal shooting time. And I asked my friend, I said, do you want to stay for the show? Because I expect there's going to be a spectacular show. And we agreed to do that. And we laid there in the layout blinds and hundreds and hundreds of mallards came pouring into this wetland, you know, in, in the last bit of light. And it was, it was pretty spectacular. Um, wow. Yeah. So, so I did have a couple good duck hunts the, the next day, kind of the final day of our trip, we set up in a pea field in the, in the A-frame blind with a duck spread in the field because at that point, we had uh, essentially possession limits of geese, and it was windy. It was blowing like crazy, and and we were able to shoot a limit of ducks in the field, which was which was very nice. So, so yeah, we I got a little bit of that of that good duck hunting while I was there. So so I don't currently have plans to to go back to Saskatchewan. Um, next, sort of on the slate, uh, 
think I'm going to try and get out for some diving ducks here in Manitoba. There, there can be oh, some, yeah. some good hunting for canvasbacks, especially early on here. So, so I'll admit that kind of the theme right now is you better get after the birds that are going to get out of here quickly, you know? So canvasbacks, yeah. white fronts, cranes, blue wing teal. I've kind of been working on those and then mallards will be here for a while. So, so I'll have a chance to, uh, match wits with them for a few more weeks. So that's kind of my strategy. You've mentioned this a couple of times already, but I, I just kind of want to put a fine point on it. The season for non-resident hunters is currently open, technically, in Saskatchewan, right? I think last time we had you on, you were talking about how the season for non-residents in Manitoba didn't open until, uh, let's say, what would it have been? 24th uh, of September, uh, I think. Of September. But the time whenever you, at the time when you were hunting in Saskatchewan, technically it was open season also for non-residents, correct? Yeah, that's right. And so what you saw in terms of the lack of people on the landscape was a direct reflection of that border closure, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, the border closure currently restricts non, non-discretionary non travel. So, you know, waterfowl hunting and tourism and those kind of things, you know, folks from who, who aren't Canadian residents or, or uh, Canadian citizens are restricted, um, you know, just due to the challenges with COVID right now. So... So yeah, it was it was quiet on the landscape because despite the fact the seasons are open, you know, no one able, is able to travel into the country, unfortunately. Scott, I think that's going to wrap it up. Before we close out, I want to give you an opportunity to share anything else, any other observations with respect to the migration? Does it, does it seem to be kind of on on track, uh, you know, based on my view of the weather? We've had some cold fronts here recently, but nothing that's too extraordinary that would have pushed out huge numbers of birds from the prairies. Do things seem to be pretty much on track up there? Yeah, I, I would say so. You know, during that whole trip, um, you know, temps were, lows were in the upper 40s, uh, you know, lower 50s at night and, you know, highs in the in the 70s during the day. So it was pretty balmy and, you know, those kind of conditions aren't going to move any birds, you know, that, that aren't ready to move anyway. You know, those early migrants that are just going to move kind of based on, based on the calendar, um, you know, like white fronts and cranes and and probably some pintails. So, you know, mallards and things like that that are going to need to be moved by weather. It will, it will be a while. We will need changes in the weather to move those. And, and I guess I would say, you know, I knew that the, the hunting pressure on the landscape was going to be much less. It was, it was non-existent. I, I'll admit, mm. even I was surprised out there. Like, wow. like out West, the only thing I heard, I heard a propane cannon going off you know, which wow. was sort of steady and, you know, on a timer and that kind of thing. So it will be interesting to see, you know, with, with, you know, very low pressure across Canada, I think it will probably take some weather to move things like mallards because, you know, they're, they're going to be relatively undisturbed out there. So it'll wow. be, be interesting to see what transpires. Well, hunters all across the U.S. right now just salivating and green with envy um, hearing, yeah. <laughs> hearing what you're saying there in terms of the lack of pressure out there. But um, Scott, I think that's going to do it for us. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, we, you probably have at least another month of your season up there, hopefully a little bit longer. Uh, does it, it carries into November for you? I mean, technically by the calendar, is that right? It does. I, I think technically it, it may even go into early December, but I would say if we make it to the end of October before freeze up, that's, that's pretty unusual. Um, 
So yeah, we'll we'll have the better part of this month, hopefully, to chase birds before before the uh, ponds and wetlands turn into skating rinks up here. Okay. Well, we will plan on reconnecting with you once again to see how your season closed out and see if there are any, any uh, you know, weather developments by then. It's always great having you on. You're, you're always gracious with your time. And like I said, we'll keep running this thing until, until folks can stop it. Okay. Sounds good to me. A special thanks to one of our favorite guests here on the podcast, Dr. Scott Stevens with Ducks Unlimited Canada. We greatly appreciate his time as always. And in particular this time, we appreciate him allowing us to live vicariously through him uh, as we go into this waterfowl hunting season. Uh, it's open in Canada. It's starting to open throughout parts of the U.S. So we, we appreciate Scott sharing some of his experiences. Delighted to hear those. As always, we also thank our great producer, Clay Baird, and to you, the listeners, we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.